0: Okay, so today we're talking about, out of Revelation 1-5, Revelation 1-5, Father, thank you for Jesus being a faithful witness. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand your faithfulness, as we were just singing there. Oh, we've been, uh, thank you, Jesus, we've been speaking about Revelation, the revelation of Jesus and I haven't had this question, but I'm anticipating it, which is like, Cyrus, how long are we going to be speaking about from the book of Revelation? Maybe with excitement, maybe with dread. And my answer would be that Revelation, like the book of Revelation has an element of the prophetic where it's like, when is the Lord going to return and how is that going to look? Right? Like when you think about the book of Revelation, your first thought is probably pre-trib, right? Or it's like post-trib or, I don't know, maybe you don't know. But like, the, when is the Lord going to come? And oh my goodness, is Cyrus going to make a prediction that doesn't come true? Like, that would maybe be feelings that are in the church, right? Or in people who hear that a pastor is going to speak about <clears throat> Revelation. And, and, um, but I want to tell you that um, there's a lot of other books... That have had prophetic predictions in them, and we still study them, even though those predictions are in the past. And the reason I'm saying that is because I would argue that over 90% of the information that we can get from the book of Revelation is actually not about when Jesus is going to return. Maybe even more than 90%. I'm actually probably being conservative. Like, asking me, how long are we going to study the book of Revelation is like saying, how long are we going to study the book of Matthew, right? Like, Matthew was about a fulfillment of Jesus' first coming. And Revelation is about a fulfillment of Jesus' next coming. And the primary thing we get about from the book of Matthew is not about what it's going to look like when he comes back. The primary thing we get about what we get from the book of Matthew is what is Jesus like, Right? We get, what is Jesus doing? Who is he? And the primary thing that we get from the book of Revelation is, who is Jesus? And so I want to reorient you to this book and not just think, oh, if I'm going to go in the book of Revelation, I have to figure out what I believe about his return. I want you to think about, oh, I'm going to study the book of Revelation because it's one of the clearest pictures that we have of God and who he is. And if you want to understand who he is, you don't just have to go to the book of John or Mark. You can go to the book of Revelation and understand what Jesus looks like and what he does in the face of different situations so you can know him better. So I want to emphasize that. We might talk at some point about when he's going to return and some of that stuff. I'm not going to forbid it from the pulpit, but I want you to know that this is primarily about who God is. And today, I'm going to talk about the first... Description of Jesus in the Book of Revelation, which is in Revelation 1:5, and in there John says that he's a faithful witness. That's the first description of Jesus in the Book of Revelation. Faithful witness, truth teller. So this is Mom's fault. This is Wilma's fault. I'm going to tell a joke. It's not really a joke. Um, So when I was doing my thesis, I was doing a thesis on are men or women more afraid of crime? And all of the research up into that point was saying that women are more afraid of crime. It's one of the most predictable findings in maybe, in that area of research anyways, just very, very predictable. It's hard to find predictable findings in psychology sometimes. This was very predictable. Women are more afraid of crime than men. It's like, okay. My question was, are they lying? In particular, are men lying? Are men more... Like, this was a weird finding. Why is it weird that women are more afraid of crime than men? It's weird because men experience more victimization than women. Men are more victimized by crime than women. Now, certain types of crime, for sure, women are more victimized, like sexual assault and things like that. But overall, men experience more victimization of crime. So why are women more afraid when men... Our experience more victimization. You could say, well, it's masculinity. Well, masculinity also does something else. It makes people lie, right? So maybe they're more afraid, but they're just lying about it. All this is to say that I had to measure lying. I had to create or find a measure of lying, and I found one. And I don't remember much of the measure. In fact, I don't remember anything except this one question I'm not going to ask you to answer it publicly because it's going to tell me whether you're a liar. But I want you to, I probably should have started with the question. Do you enjoy a good poo? Do you enjoy a good poo? So you think about that for a second. Do you enjoy a good poo? I can tell you that over 95% of you do. Even if you tell me, Cyrus, I don't enjoy good poo, that's gross, that's disgusting. I can, t- I can look at you back and I can say, yes, you do. You enjoy it. You enjoy a good poo. But I know why you're saying no, because it's embarrassing, right? It's embarrassing to say that you enjoy it. You don't enjoy all poos, just the good ones, right? Huh? But if it's a good one, it's a good one. Oh, so are you a liar? Are you a faithful witness to poo and your experience of it? This is the question. This is the question we're exploring today. Now, when people experience trauma, I was thinking about this. I was like, well, Lord, why'd you give me faithful witness today on the level orange Sunday when Winnipeg goes to level orange and we are like restricted with masks and groups of 10. When people experience trauma, they want the truth. They want a faithful witness. And people, when people experience trauma, it's the time when people are well. It's odd time when people are very likely to lie to them. We lie to victims. We lie to them. It was they die peacefully. We lie to people about the last moments. We lie to people about how people are how people die. And people desperately want the truth and they're desperate to have people believe that they can handle it, that they can handle the truth, even though it's painful and that they're going to cry and that it's going to be hard. They want to know. They really do want to know. And it actually does help them when they know. It doesn't help them in the moment, but it helps them overall to understand what happened. If you're lost in the woods, you want the truth. You want to know You want a faithful witness. You want a guide. The first thing they see if you're lost in the woods is to stop. And think it through. Don't panic. You need to guide yourself out. If you're anxious when you're lost in the woods, it's because you don't know, you don't have a guide. You don't have the truth. And when, just imagine if you're lost in the woods, but you have somebody with you who's very experienced. They're lost too, but they're very experienced. Your anxiety is going to go down. If you're just walking through a park... Grassy fields. You don't need the truth. You could just kind of walk wherever. But if you're in a dungeon and you're trying to get out, you're in a maze, you want a faithful witness. You want the truth. You want to know exactly what's happening, even if it's painful. And when people are in difficulty, they want the truth. When people are in challenges. And I believe that's why the first description of Jesus in the book of Revelation is that he is a faithful witness. Basically, you're about to go through something really hard. I mean, that's the book of Revelation, right? You're about to go through something really tough. You're going to be lost. But don't worry. Revelation 1 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, you have a faithful guide. Amen. So when you read the book of Revelation, you, under- you can understand that he is not exaggerating. In the positivity, he is not exaggerating. In the negativity, you can trust him. If you want to know what to do, don't look around at what's happening around you. Look at him and what he says. And it makes sense. I mean, the book of Revelation is about the a worldwide awakening to Jesus. That is going to shake something. A worldwide awakening to Jesus. Everybody coming out of their dream and saying, wow, he's real. That is going to shake something on the earth. That's going to cause a lot of challenges, a lot of emotion. When I was um, yesterday, uh, Friday afternoon, I'm on the radio. I was sitting on the radio, my phone to my ear. When you go on the radio with, um, with somebody, they put you on hold. And on hold, you can hear the radio station you can hear what's on before you. And what's on before me on on CJOB is the news. So I hear the news and the weather and I kind of get caught up on stuff as I'm waiting to go on the radio. And so I'm listening and I'm, you know, relaxed. I'm thinking about my topics, making sure I got it all figured out, what I'm going to say. And then I hear Winnipeg is level orange, masks required everywhere, groups of 10 only. No context, no details. And I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, okay, what are we going to do with the church? Like, all my counselors, do they have to wear masks in their sessions? I'm like, I remember the last time we got, like, shocking news, and it caused me, like, two weeks of trauma. You know, it's just like, (gasps) I have to recreate a church. I have to recreate my clinic. I have to write pages and pages of policy. I have to keep everybody safe. And I'm thinking this, and my mind is just spinning and reeling. And then I'm like, I'm on the radio in like 30 seconds. <laughs> and I'm like, calm down, Cyrus. <laughs> calm down. You're supposed to be a positive person. People like it when you laugh on the radio. And I'm like, I practice laughing. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm a positive presence. <laughs> I have to bring people hope. The first question, how do you, what is the word that you have to help people through this difficult time? <sighs> like, that's what I need right now. <laughs> Get around somebody stable, not me, right? (laughs) We need to have a guide. We need that stable person, right? Now, not only is Jesus true, but he calls us, like I said in the last sermon we were talking, we're in the family business. He calls us to be faithful witnesses, right? You're supposed to be a faithful witness, Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, the Bible does say don't lie. But I believe this is probably one of the best captured phrasings of what God means when he says don't lie. Because lying is a big category. Like, lying covers a lot of different stuff. Our definition of lying is, like, broad. But false witness is more specific, and I think it's it's more to the point of what Jesus really means this is, in other words, betrayal don't betray it's a better word Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses declares the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe and understand that I am he we are supposed to bear witness to Jesus as he bears witness to us We are here right now in trial and Jesus is on trial and we're the witness telling everybody whether he's guilty or innocent. And we're going to get to a trial where he's going to be a faithful witness for us and we're going to be on trial and he's going to be our witness before the Father. And he's going to be faithful. Faithful to the truth. In my practice I do teach people to be honest but honestly, I'm actually teaching people to lie more than I'm teaching them to be honest. Don't leave yet. (coughs) Did that pastor just say he teaches people to lie? Unfortunately, I do. I teach people to lie quite a bit. And it's sometimes to Christians, Christians will come in and sometimes they're the worst offenders. They, they, um, They don't know how to lie. And they need to. They need to learn how to be more deceptive. Christians can become very simplistic about things and, be, and do a lot of damage. Right. They become very simplistic. They're like, I am honest. I'm sorry. And they do a lot of damage. I, I say it, half the time I'm teaching people to be honest and not betray. Half the time I'm teaching people to lie. So what do I mean? Oh, I'll give you an example for me. I am often committing myself to people to keep their secrets And in order to be honest with them, I have to be dishonest all the time. I'm lying all the time to not give away my clients that I know them. You want to go that way, honey? Yeah, I want to go this way. It's like, can we go that way? Natasha knows. I tell her, if I redirect us in a way that doesn't make sense, just listen. Don't ask any questions. So every once in a while, I'll say, oh, let's turn right here. And then she'll be like, why? Oh, okay. And she'll just follow me where I'm going. And okay, we'll take a little detour. And she just knows that I'm avoiding somebody. I saw saw somebody. And they probably saw me. It's okay if somebody sees me and comes up to me. But I'm not allowed to give them away. And sometimes it's just easier to go down a different aisle. So I don't have to lie. Because I do. Because if I don't lie and I give away my client. Then I'm lying to them about keeping their confidentiality right? It's a double lie. There's no way out. I have to lie. One way or the other. How often was Jesus put in a situation like this? And he would often have these answers that got him out. And sometimes we need those as well. So I think to be a faithful witness, you have to lean on the Lord in order to know what to say at certain times. I'll give you another example. When you're starting this church, We had just told the pastors of the church we were at before, we're starting a church. And we said, we're going to tell everybody when you tell us to tell them, because I know this could be disruptive in a church when one of your members starts a church. So, you know, let us know. The next night, somebody prays for us and says, I think you should be a pastor. I think you should start a church. This is like a prayer night. And I'm like, wow. Wow. Like, that's powerful. I just prayed for God to give us a miracle. And here's this person prophetically, nobody had ever done it before. I don't have pastor written on my forehead. You know, and it's just like, God, like, I think you're supposed to be a pastor. And then she asked me, she said, are you starting a church? She said that to me. In front of everybody. And I said, maybe one day, like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) It's like, it's like, Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you are no, under no obligation to tell people things they have no right to know. You are under no obligation to tell somebody something they have no right to know. There are so many things that the Lord keeps hidden from us. We have no right to know them, and he keeps them a secret. And there's so, I'm surprised how much he does tell us. It's amazing how much he tells us. Okay, so these are examples of times when I'm teaching people to lie. Polite. How do you be polite? What's the definition of the word polite? Lie. If somebody says, oh, you're being so polite, that means, oh, you're really good at lying. It's like, when you sit down at the table, you thank the host for the wonderful food. Lie, right? That's amazing! Thank you so much for this amazing food. You look great in that outfit. You're supposed to be polite. You're supposed to be kind. Yeah, I'm doing okay. I have Christians who will come to me and say, "How do you like? I'm not doing okay. What do I do?" I, like they ask me, "How am I doing?" And they and then I say, "Horribly." And I'm trying to get through my life, right? Like, how do I manage this? And I'm like, "You lie." You say, fine. That's what people do. They say fine when they're not fine. Well, isn't that lying? Everybody gets it, so it's not a lie. Like, if there's a common understanding about what you're doing, like, I, I'm a little, I had problems with this a little bit. It's like, oh, do you want to go for coffee? Yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm going out for coffee. No, I'm not. You're not going out for coffee. That's not the signal. Are you going out for coffee? There's got to be something after that, like another call. Like, oh, yes, I would like to go for coffee. And, like, no avoidance. So I'd be like, oh, I'm going out for coffee. It's tragic a little bit, but I would be like, I don't like coffee. I'm like, get a tea. Like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, I'm so literal. I had to learn to lie because I'm so literal. And God, he is, he loves hyperbole. What's hyperbole? Lying. If any man comes to me and hate not his father and mother, are we supposed to hate our father and mother? No, it's an exaggeration to make a point. Are we really supposed to cut off our hand and pluck out our eye? No, please don't. These are exaggerations to make a point, but technically they're deceptive and lies. The Old Testament is full of it too. The rock poured me out rivers of oil did it no it was just that there was abundance the cities are great walled all the way up to heaven are they no everyone could sling stones at a hair and not miss they're just accurate they could it is just an exaggeration in order to make a point it's poetry what's another one that I'm teaching people this one even more common than polite like oftentimes when people come with autism I'm teaching them to be polite I'm teaching them social niceties how to lie when people come, men, generally, I can say that here, I have to be a little more careful in my practice, but generally men, I'm teaching them how to be romantic. How do you be romantic? You lie. You lie, lie, lie. You, you pick out the card, like, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. Like, really? Like, really? I'm the only one who can say that, but everybody else, like, right? Like... Everybody else would have to lie. When you're writing your romantic poetry card, you're saying beautiful things that mean real things. They're true, but they're also lies. I love you, yes. And all of these other things. And and with Christians, oftentimes they don't know how to hide something. They don't know how to divide the truth in love. They don't know how to do that. So often. Jesus, when he was talking to the crowd, he used parables. He wasn't open. He said, I'm telling them and they're not going to understand and then he actually knew that he wasn't like he just God just downloaded the parable. He downloaded the explanation to Jesus. Jesus understood the parable, and he didn't tell them on purpose. Later on, he explained it to the disciples. There is so much revelation in heaven and in the Bible laid out for people that's confusing, and it's only there for those who search it out. And even for those who search it out, I believe that we are going to be getting new understandings from the Bible even after we're in heaven. This book is amazing. It's so jam-packed. And there's so much in it that we don't understand or don't understand the deeper levels of. We don't know how to divide the truth. So what will happen is Christians will go out there and hurt people with these like little, unimportant lies, thinking that they're being amazing Christians, devastating people because they don't know how to get along, and then, on the important things, they don't tell people the truth. They lie about the big things, like that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm going to hide that one, but I'm going to tell you I don't like the crumble. Right? Because I'm a good Christian. We are not supposed to betray. We're not supposed to betray people. Now, when I'm dealing with people who betray, who betray regularly, because I deal with that too, and I'm teaching them to be honest. Trying to. It's terribly difficult Usually, it's coming from fear and inadequacy. Usually, they're lying because of fear and inadequacy. I think the Bible would probably call it cowardly. They're cowardly. They can't face it. They can't face the truth. They can't face, this is the big one, they can't face the pain that they're going to inflict on the person that they're talking to. And this isn't about crumble anymore. The person is looking at them and saying, Tell me the truth. They're like crying and they're saying, tell me, tell me what you did. Tell me what happened to them. Tell me what happened. And they lie. we <sighs> are not supposed to betray people. We're not supposed to hurt people with our lies. It's a relational reality. Do not lie in the context of love. Ezekiel 33. This is a word that is kind of challenging. And it's basically saying, I want you to be my watchman. I want you to stand on the tower... I'm not going to read it because it's long but I want you to stand on the tower and when you see something coming you tell the the city. And if you tell the city and they get hurt the blood's on them. But if you don't tell the city the blood's on you. If you don't tell the city the army's coming and somebody in that city gets hurt And you didn't warn them because that's your job. Your job is to warn them. The blood is on you. Because you weren't a watchman. You weren't watching. You weren't announcing it. So, Son of Man, this is verse 7, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one You shall surely die and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way that wicked person shall die in his iniquity but the blood i will require at your hand but if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way that person shall die in his iniquity but you have delivered your own soul it's a heavy responsibility do you know like it actually is a little bit similar not the identical but it's a little bit similar to what it was like in the old testament Uh, when when they were kind of nomadic people, they had no prison, so there was a lot of capital punishment. Like, there's no prison, sorry. Like, death, right? So there's like a lot of death happening in the desert. And if you were a witness, and I say she did it or he did it, you as the witness have to throw the first stone. You have to actually go and be the executioner if you're the witness who executed that person. That's how powerful a witness is. And they're emphasizing the power of it. You think you're good, if you're the witness, you're sure they did it, then you are the one who's gonna be, you don't get to just say it and like the person goes away. You have to go and kill the person. Deuteronomy 17, 7. The hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. The witness has to go and do it. It's so powerful. It's so serious being a witness. If you've been a witness against that person, you have killed them. Ezekiel 2, this is actually a word that's for me that I felt really impacted me uh, a year ago, maybe. Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke with me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels. You who have rebelled against me, they and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks for they are a rebellious house and you shall speak my words to them whether they hear or refuse to hear for they are a rebellious house. Your word will go out. This is a word for Maplecrest. Our word will go out. And whether they hear or whether they don't hear, don't worry about it because they are a rebellious house. But the word has to go out, otherwise, we're a false witness. And we don't have to say everything, there's lots of things to say. But we have to say what the Lord tells us to say. We're supposed to proclaim heaven to the earth, we're supposed to proclaim righteousness. We have lots of things to proclaim and we're supposed to be listening. And especially as the earth enters into difficult times, as Winnipeg enters into difficult times, I want people to say maybe something like, I don't know if I like maple crest, but they say it. I can trust what they say. They're being honest. They believe it. Or maybe I don't like them because they say it. And when I say that we're gonna say it, I don't mean that we're gonna be like, hey, look at us, we're so bold. We're gonna say it with tenderness. With tenderness, with love. We're gonna say it in the time that's right. We're gonna say it in the way that's right, the way the Lord has told us to, with tenderness, not because we get to be the bold ones and we get to be like, hey, we're the bold church. It's like, it's not about that. It's about being a faithful to the Lord. It's about looking at him and saying, I told him, and looking at people and saying, with tears in your eyes, We love you. The Lord loves you. He's calling you from this. The Lord loves you. We need to be a voice in the darkness, in love, in love with Him. So often we pick between truth and hatred and love and compromise. I want love with truth. I don't want to get angry. Could the band come up? So, Jesus is called the faithful witness. And as we go into these difficult things that we're going to talk about, the challenging things, we can trust him because he is the one who described it. And he is going to tell us exactly what's going to happen. We can put our faith in him and how he describes it, even when it looks like it's not going to happen that way. And it's not simple. It's complex. When we're engaging with the truth, when we see him as a faithful witness, and when we're a faithful witness, we have to engage in the complexity. We can't just say, that's the truth, so I have to say it that exact way. We have to listen to the Lord and understand our time and our situation because we aren't there just like proclaiming everything. We're a watchman listening for the word, for the timing to deliver it, whether it's easy, whether it's hard. We do it and we do it in love. We're being guided by the Spirit. I want the Lord to look at me in the end and say, you told them what I told you to tell them. You didn't have regard for whether they would like you at the end of the message. You didn't have regard for the doors opening and the doors closing. You had regard for me. You were looking at me when you said it. And that's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that as you as you go from here, as we go from here, that and as we enter into a city that's in turmoil, That we will be able to understand and be a faithful witness to Winnipeg. Amen. Amen.